Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we've been, cut, we've been doing a study focusing on faith and family, okay? So we're going to jump right in because the time is ticking away. Um, so we, we first talked about the importance of marriage, that, you know, marriage is God's designed plan for a husband and a wife raising children. And then we talked about the concept of raising children, that as we raise children, uh, it's important to have a biblical model of marriage. And then when we talk, when we're raising our children, it's also important to be consistent in our, in our model of raising children. You don't want to have a divided kingdom. You don't want to have mom on this side and dad on this side, and y'all can't figure it out. And therefore, the kids have a great time with that because you're in cahoots with each other. So they just run wild and they do what they want because mom and dad are trying to figure it out. So we gave you guys some concepts in regards to, uh, to parenting and, and saying some things like that. If you didn't hear either of the first two, we do have it on the podcast. Uh, if you got an iPhone, just type in Harvest Time Church. It's a blue home with a cross in the middle, and that's kind of the logo. But you can catch up on those podcasts if you miss them. It's been a really, really great tool. Appreciate all the guys and, and the media team back there making that possible every single week. So today, I didn't plan this. I didn't know you guys were going to give an offering this morning. But today we're going to talk about faith and finance. Okay? What a coincidence. So we're going we're gonna to share some concepts. I don't want to just focus on the tithe and offering side because I want it to be practical. We want to look at finances as a whole. I could preach all day long about tithes and offerings, but in practicality, will that help the practical concepts of finance? Okay? You know, giving your tithe and offerings doesn't necessarily fix debt, Right? There's certain decisions you have to make in order to get out of debt or stay out of debt. They're practical principles. It doesn't matter if you tithe every single week if you spend all the rest of your money foolishly. Okay, so we're going to look at the practical side, all right? So God created the family concept. He gives us all that we need through his word to be successful spiritually and physically. Okay, the word of God gives us practical guidance in regards to things like marriage, parenting, money, work ethic. Uh, it's a guide to living a successful life. If you will practice these principles all through the word, you will live a successful life. Now, we might not like all the principles in here, but if we begin to apply those things, it, is, it will cause our life to be successful in whatever we're applying that word to or whatever we're reading on or whatever topic, okay? So money and possessions are the second most re- referenced topic in the Bible, the second most. So money is mentioned more than 800 times. And you got to understand that the message is very clear. Nowhere in Scripture is debt viewed in a positive way. It's never, it's never viewed in a positive thing. It's like, yes, accrue as much debt as you can because God will bless you through it. You'll never see that. Debt, debt is, is a plan of the enemy to really uh, withhold his bless, God's ultimate blessing in your life for you in this lifetime. Okay? All right, so today we're going to look at God's Word in regards to faith and finance. We're going to look at God's principles of tithes and offerings through His Word, but we're really going to focus on the practical side also. So as I was looking through uh, the Internet, Google searches, different things, there's, the th- there's three top things that every married couples or couples at some point will fight over. You guys think you can guess what one of those are? Money. So the other two is intimacy, and third but not least is kids. So in those concepts, you know, at, at some point, you, if, if you've been, how many have been married less than a year? So everybody's been married if you're married longer than a year. So I can guarantee you, you've dealt with probably every single one of those. Because if it's less than a year, you're just like, hey, we've been good so far. It's coming. <laughs> All right? So just to warn you. Every couple fights about intimacy, kids, and money. So just make sure before we have that fight that we get on the same page and we have an understanding in in regards to each of those areas. Because if we know what we're going to do when we start discussing it, we won't get in a fight over it. Okay? So how we manage our finances is revealed by how we spend our money. Okay? So how we spend our money determines if we manage our money well or we manage it recklessly. So I'm not here to like point fingers and say, hey, 
You're living like a fool, quit spending all your money on crazy stuff. But this is going to be, hopefully, the challenge when we come away, what you're going to come away with is self-evaluating and looking at some principles and some practices that can help you turn your finances around starting today. Okay? So we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to break down the message into three points. And the order that we're going to go in, I believe, is the, is the way that God wants us to, to direct our finances. So we're going to look at get, to give, to save, and then spend. Okay? Did you hear that? Give first, then save, and then spend. Don't spend and then say, uh-oh, I have nothing to give. Uh-oh, I already spent. I have nothing to save. If we keep on on that track, because sometimes we do that, we get a new job, we start making more money than we ever have, and that new job is a blessing, but just because we're making more than we ever, ever have doesn't mean we should start spending more than we ever have. You know, that's, that's often what you see. People make more and more money, and they're either more and more in debt or less and less satisfied. So it's not really, the, the focus today is not on how much money you make, but what do you do with the money that you do make? Because that what, that's what God is calling you to be accountable to. Okay? So we want to give, we want to save, and we want to spend. So a principle that I try to live by just as a basis, if you're like, so how in the world do I set this up? How do I begin to structure this? One, one golden rule and one thing that I always try to support is give at least 10%, save at least 10%, and then ask God what to do with the rest. Okay? It's a good principle. You're going to have to save. That's something that if you don't save, it's going to cost you in the long run. Okay? So we follow this pattern. It helps us prioritize, prioritize our finances in a way that honors God and provides a fin financially free future. Okay, because I know when you first get married, you buy your home, you get, get your first job out of college or whatever it is, you're, you're, you're facing obstacles, right? You either have school debt out of the wazoo because school is so expensive, but maybe you were working and you're trying to put money towards that school debt. But there comes a place to where you have a prime opportunity to start uh, chunking, uh, really, really knocking away at that debt to get to the place of being financially free. So when I say financially free, what I mean is living without any debt. Now, some of you are like, is that even possible? It absolutely is. But it's a whole lot of work and it requires a lot of discipline. So I'm hoping this morning to give you a few concepts to really help you prioritize your finances in a way that honors God and provides a financially free future, okay? So the first thing we're going to look at is give. Let's look at Malachi 3 for this passage. So this first one, when we're talking about giving, this is going to be in regards to tithes and offerings. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, Scripture support, and uh, then we're going to make sure we communicate what is the difference between a tithe, what is the difference between an offering, because both of them are important. And if we look at this passage... Uh, let's, see if it, let's see if it just talks about tithes or it talks about tithes and offerings. So we'll start in verse th 6 of Malachi chapter 3. So this is where it starts. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And so they respond with a question. They say, but, but you ask, how, how, do, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? This is his response, okay? He says, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, it says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough room, that you, that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a, will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So the first thing he brings to their attention is that you are robbing me in tithes and offerings. He doesn't just say tithes. Now, you may have never heard about the offering side of it because, you know, we tend to the, the tithe, the tithe, the tithe. Well, here he's talking about a tithe and offering. So it splits it up that there's two separate things. He goes on to say that, you know, test me in this. There's nowhere else, nowhere else in Scripture that God says, test me. 
So what is he saying? I triple, double dog dare you to try me in this. Because the, the original context was what? You are robbing me. But if you bring all of your tithe into the storehouse, test me in this, and this is what he says he'll do. So I'm just going to highlight a few of these, right? He says, I will give you so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Sounds like a good problem to me. More than I can contain, more than I can hold on to. But here's another thing. He says, I will also prevent pests from devouring your crops. We say, Pastor Noe, I don't have any crops. You ever bought a refrigerator or an oven or a microwave? This is what God's talking about. He says, I will cause, I will, I will remove the devourer from destroying these things in your life so that you can get to the place of blessing. Your stuff can break down so much when you're under a curse that you can't make it. You'll have car issues. Your fridge will break down. I had the warranty. Well, I had the warranty, but Sears still didn't do anything. I mean, it's the devourer messing your life up. But, but what it says, when you return the tithe to me, when you return the offering to me, I will prevent the devourer from, dis from working against you. But when we don't honor this in, t in giving God what is his, because it was personal. God said, you robbed me. It wasn't even a church thing. It said, you robbed me. But he says, bring all of it so that, so that my house, my church will be full. There was a principle that God wanted to establish so that the church could impact the world. You have to understand, it, man, God's heart is bigger than just paying the light bills and making sure, you know, the electricity and the, and the ACs are working right. God wants so much in his storehouse that we can do whatever God puts in our heart. If another church down the road can't pay their bills, we write the check. There's so much that God wants to do when people give. So he says, I will, I will bless you beyond your understanding. I will, I will not allow the uh, devourer to devour what you have. Okay? And then it says, then all the nations will call you blessed. That's a good thing to be. Where, God, where, where the world begins to see the church as the most... Not that we promote a prosperity message, but we're living lives of prosperity because of a principle that we honor and that we apply to our life. Okay? So what's the difference? Let's look at, look at some of this. So one, one more passage. In the Old Testament, we observe that Abraham and Jacob offered a tithe to God in Genesis. And in, in those chapter, chapters is Genesis 14 and 28, if you want to look at that. I'm not going to read that, but if you want to look at it when you get a chance. Uh, and what is more, the Israelites were commanded to tithe from what they earned and produced during the year. So we have to understand, this was, this was pre-law. So a lot of people say, well, tithing and all this stuff, it was part of the law. Well, there was tithing and giving way before the law came into place. But the law demands it also. And everything that I see all throughout the Word of God, everything in the Old Testament that God asked or that was required, everything increased in the New Testament. Think about it, right? In the Old Testament, what did he say? He, he said, well, if you kill somebody, that's a sin. Well, in the New Testament, he says, if you just hate them or don't like them, it's the equivalent. Man, this is way a lot more personal. And, and it, there was an increase of grace required for the New Testament. So if we look at every single principle, Old Testament versus the New Testament, if there was an increase and there was a higher expectation, what is the expectation that changes financially? Okay? I hope to answer that question a little bit this morning. We have to really begin when we talk about giving to look at, at tithes and all, the, the tithe and offerings principle because it will directly influence all the rest of your finances. Okay, So tithing is, is biblically defined as 10% of your income. Okay, So just for sim simplicity, 10% of your income, an offering is anything above and beyond your tithe. So if you give 11%, how many hate math? I'm going to make it super easy for you. Okay, 10% is your tithe. Let's say you give 11% of your, of your income for the month. So if you give 11%, that means 10% went to your tithe and 1% went to offering. Well, what do I give it to, Noe? However God leads you, right? If there's a need, we bless, we give, but we were led by the Spirit, okay? So 10%, we got to understand that 10% is a baseline for giving, but that does not necessarily mean that you can't give more than that. 
So God, God doesn't say give 10% and that's it. You have to give what's in your heart to give. But by principle, if you give more than 10%, you dip into the offering category. So this, this, this is what I'm talking about. This right here is your tithe. This is what you gave as your 10% of your increase, what you're honoring God, what you're trusting God, what you're breaking the power of the devourer over your life, where you're asking for provision in your life abundantly more than we can hope and imagine. This is your tithe. This is your 10%. Well, some of you this morning had a chance to give an offering and you might not have known it or not. So this bucket over here represents an offering that has nothing to do with your 10%. So really separate the two. But this is the place that God wants us to get to. Because when we get to this point, we begin to see a multiplication in our life like we've never seen. Because God is allowing us to give the 10%. He's allowing us to give more above and beyond that 10% as an offering. And then we see the floodgates of heaven opened up. We see the devourer removed. And we see abundant blessing in our life. So when we give God what is his first, what does he say? He says that if you give me the first fruits, I will make sure that everything else is blessed. Let's go back to math. 10% of your tithe, you give it. Offering, whatever God puts in your heart. So let's use the same thing. If he gave, if he gave you, if you give 10%, and let's do easy math. You give you 10%, 10 of your tithe, 10% of an offering. That means that when you meet those principles that God will bless the 80%. He will stretch it out. You'll keep writing the checks and you'll say, I don't have a clue how the heck we can keep paying this. The money just doesn't add up. But yet the provision of the Lord remains faithful all the days of your life. Well, I don't know how we can afford this. We're making less money this year than we can, but we faithfully tithe and we've been giving offering the best that we can. We've honored God at his word. The math doesn't make sense because it's a principle working for you rather than against you. God promises to, to multiply and overly abundantly bless us financially more than we can ever imagine. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know, I love giving gifts uh, you know, I've always had a hard time just getting gifts for individuals that are not intentional and heartfelt. These past few years, we've been doing an elephant, white elephant gift exchange. I hate it I, because I see stuff all the time. It's like, man, this would really be cool to get for, for my sister-in-law. This would be, but I can't get that because we got to get a neutral gift that everybody would like. And I was like, it's just a dumb gift. It's not intentional. I'm not giving something that, you know, because I think about what do they like? You know, what would really help them? What would, you know, what have they been asking for? What's something they really want? I want to give intentional, but I want to give good gifts, right? I want to be intentional with my giving. I don't want to just come and say, oh man, reluctantly with a, with a, with a, with a bad heart and a bad motive to give like that. I want it to be a blessing when I give. I don't want to, you know, walk the, I don't know what the, how far it is, the 30-foot 30 walk, 30 walk of shame where you're just like this, taking your tithe up. <laughs> Throw it in there and you walk back. And say, it's all I had left, Lord. You know, I don't know, you know, whatever, you know, where, where, we, where we walk and we say, God, I, I thank you that I give the opportunity, I have the opportunity to give. John 3, 16, everybody knows it, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. So if God gave us the greatest gift, why would we not give as much as we can to him? Okay? If we love God, we'll desire to give just like he gave with a heart of gratitude. I don't think Father God had a reluctant heart when he sent his son, but it was the hardest choice he ever made. And for some of you, that may be a difficult step, writing a tithe check or writing something that you're like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. But God will grow your faith. And he will provide so much provision that the tithe will become a blessing instead of a curse. Okay? I don't want to give you my secret to success, but we'll get that on the last part when we talk about uh, spending. So let me keep going. So here's a biblical principle that you can stand on today. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful, that means smiling when you do it. It means a little pep in your step, not like, man, again, right? That we do it with joy. 
Verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, I said all things, at all times, having all that you need, and it sounds like it keeps getting better and better, right? That, that you will abound in every good work. So what does that mean? Every way you can think about it. Well, you think God will help me in this if I practice this principle? Absolutely. Every area of your life. As long as we do it with the right heart. And to the measure that we give is the measure we receive sometimes. I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us when we give a little bit sometimes, but the normal principle is if you give uh, generously, he will reward you generously. Okay? So the principle that needs to be applied with, with your heart, you know, is that we need to give in a way that we have a generous spirit, not a greed spirit. Okay? So what am I talking about? I don't want you to hear this morning for you to give your tithe and offerings so that you might get rich. Okay, because what that is, that's a greed principle. It's like, oh, man, you know, this is better than the stock market. This is better than a 401k. So I'm going to do it so I can get. But we give even if God didn't give us anything back because he's worth it. Because we want to do it out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness rather than out of a heart of greed. And we got to ask God, say, God, show me the motives of my heart. Show me if there's anything impure in me. Lord, show me how to give. In, a, in the right kind of way. Being a generous giver. Being a cheerful giver. Okay? So we've we got to understand that, you know, through tithes and offerings, that that's, that's, the, the bet, that's the way that we give. Okay? So 10% is your tithe. Anything over 10% is your offering. And then to what degree? Man, as much as God can provide or what, as God leads you, that's how, that's, how, that's how we give. So then we go from the concept of giving. What's the second one that I said? We give, we save, and then we spend. So let's look at saving. Why is saving so important? Okay? So I've often seen uh, people giving a 10%, and, and, and it's been such a challenge for many people. And I asked God, I said, God, why is it so difficult for people to give the 10%? Okay, so I'm about to give you a nugget of revelation that God showed me. This is why the 10% is difficult for you to give. It says, in order for the 10% to be blessed, you have to get the 90% under control. If your 90% if, if your 90% is all kinds of crazy, the 10% will never be a blessing to give. Because you will be so financially strapped just trying to make it, you really can't afford practically the 10%. But if you can't afford the, with the 10%, you probably can't make it on the 100% right now because everything is out of order. Okay? So that means that uh, you, you can't spend your money recklessly and expect, expect for there to be plenty left over to save and to give as God's word demands. You can't, you can't spend your money, money foolishly and expect to, to honor God and what he asks and what he requests of you. Okay? We got to learn to save. We have to be good stewards of our money. Okay? So God desires us really, and this is this is kind of a radical concept, but we have to begin to see it like this, that God desires us to surrender 100% of our finances to him so that the 10% will be a blessing to give. Okay, so hear what I did not say. I didn't say that means give 100% to the church. And then ask, you know, don't, it's, it's, I'm not saying give 100%. It's saying yield or ask God for guidance in regards to the 100%. Okay? And allow him to help you manage it. Where you're like, well, how do I do that? Say, God, God, my finances today. So if you go up and you're, you know, just shopping, walking around. It happens all the time, man. You'll walk around and you'll start seeing things you didn't even know you needed. But all of a sudden, you'd be like, man, I don't know if I can live life without that. You know how much better that would help my life? Man, that TV could be so big, I wouldn't even have to go to the movies. You know, and I know they have real nice recliner seats with the cup holders at the theater. Man, I can get two of those remote controlled. Man, it'll just cost me everything I got. God will stop you in your tracks. And he'll probably say, if you can't afford it, the couch you have right now is okay, buddy. 
or that TV, it works, right? Well, yeah, God, it works. It's good enough because he wants us to make sure that we're okay in this lifetime. He doesn't want to leave us asking or needing anything, but we can mess it up when we start to say, hey, well, I want this, God. I don't care what you think. So we have to ask God for guidance in regards to everything we spend. Or you're like, well, that's kind of micromanaging my money. Well, if you're in debt up to your throat, you might need it. Because up to this point, you might not have done a good job and you need some help. And we need, and we need to make sure that we realign and we, and we control, we, we intentionally tell our finances what to do rather than letting our finances dictate what we do. We're in control. The credit card doesn't make you take it out and swipe it, okay? It's a willful choice every single time. You be in control of it, okay? One more thing. Uh, I've seen a lot of these. Get it now, pay for it later. You don't have to pay for it for six months. Interest rates. There's a, listen, these people are not your friends. They're in it to get rich too off of our stupidity, okay? Because we've all made bad financial decisions at some point in our life or reckless decisions or careless decisions. We have to understand that all of these systems of the world are not, in our, not to our benefit, okay? Now, some of them can be to our benefit, but more than likely, you know, these ones that seem too good to be true, you mean it doesn't cost me anything right now? Oh, it's going to cost you, buddy. You just don't realize it yet. So you get that first bill and say, well, I didn't make any payments for six months, but you didn't read the clause that says if you don't have it paid off in the six month, you pay all the interest up to that point anyway, and then it multiplies on you. And then you can't catch up because the interest is more than you can make on the, on the minimum payment. And now you're just chasing the interest and you never pay on the principal and you're indebted forever. What we initially want isn't always what's best. We got to ask God. We got to allow him to get involved. We got to say, God, govern everything I make. Show me what to do with 100% so that the 10% can be the blessing. And God, if I can save 10% and then I could put 10% in the savings account, and then Lord, God, if you're willing, show me how to live on the 80%. But that's a challenge when we're having a hard time living on the 100%. But we got to get our finances in order if the 10% is ever going to be a blessing. And if you're ever going to be able to save 10%. Okay? Okay. So ask God what to do with 100%. So the only way to stay clear of debt is by saving. So, you know, we, we don't, if we don't get our debt under control, we'll never be able to save. So we have to understand what is savings, okay? What, you know, what is a savings account used for? What is it, what is it, is it intended for? Uh, and, and there's different reasons. We save up for trips. We save up for vehicles. We save up for all kinds of things, Right. Uh, but what I'm talking about when I talk about savings, I'm, I'm talking about a, uh, a safety net that you create. If there's anything catastrophic that happens, you're okay because you have money saved. Because let's say that all of a sudden your car breaks down. Well, I I'm spending all my money. I don't have it. I can't even take it to the mechanic. You have no options if you don't have savings. You can put it on a credit card. Then you put it on a credit card, and then they're charging you interest. Then you're trying to catch up with the credit card, but the credit card company's charging you 25% interest, and now you're just trying to catch up with the interest, and it's caused you to dive into debt, even not on purpose. But if we don't save, there is something that's going to happen. You might, your car may break down. A tree may fall on your house. You know, or you may have an unexpected health issue that comes up where you accrue medical bills. And if you have zero savings, all you can do is accrue debt. So if we save correctly, it removes us from falling into the trap of that debt is okay and that debt is just a part of life and that we live in debt. I believe that there's a better way than just living in debt. So when we look at Proverbs 22.7, this is what it says. It says, the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. So what does that mean? You know, uh, it's, it's saying don't be a slave to the, to the lender. So what this means is as long as you owe someone money, you're considered by Scripture to be their slave. Whoever you've borrowed money from, Wells Fargo, Prosperity Bank, Chase, MasterCard, Visa, Right? 
That rich ruler goes by many, many names, and we don't realize it. But God's ultimate plan is that we are not slave to the lender. So what does that mean? Man, I'm working. I worked all this overtime. You take all that money you made, and you gave it to the lender. You are enslaved to them until you are debt-free and you no longer owe them anything. Right? So it says, you know, uh, a borrower is a slave to the lender. Okay? So we got to realize that those who diligently save become the lender versus a slave to the lender. So there's something that changes. You're no longer indebted, but you're the one kind of helping out, and you become the big guy, the big fish in the pond, right, when we save, okay? So ex excessive debt is the root cause uh, for making giving and saving difficult. If you have so much debt accrued, Man, it's nearly impossible for you to give and to save like you should because you have, you have too much going out. You could, you, there's, there's, no, there's hardly any way you can do it. So the only way to remove debt and give like God demands is to save and get your finances in order, okay? So what is the average debt? So the average American now has about 38000 in personal debt. So this excludes home mortgages. So this is not a mortgage. This is just debt. $38,000, that's the norm, okay? That's about 1000 thousand up from the previous year. And it says that a fewer people have stated that they have zero debt. There are people out there that have zero debt. You got to understand that, and you got to believe that that is achievable in your life. But that percentage, it was at 27, it went down to 23% that said this, that we are, we are completely debt-free, we are not a slave to the lender, we own everything we have, and we're our own boss for the most part, right? So you might ask the question, so how do I start saving? At the beginning of every single week, set a little money aside. Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians 16.2 in the New Living Translation. So this was, this was a principle that they, that they set up, but this was, now the reason they were saving this money was that the Christians were giving, uh, sending money to Jerusalem for fa famine and poverty and all of these, that they were stricken and they needed finances. But this is, a, this is the same principle that they used to accumulate a lot of money, which is what? Saving. If I'm accumulating a large sum of money, it's the same principle. So this is what they say in this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. It says, on the first of every week, you should put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So what does this mean? Don't try to save $10,000 today. That would be very difficult for almost every single one of us. If I said, hey, you got to save up, put all whatever, put all your money together that's not allocated. I need 10000 right now. I can't do that. Let's get it maybe to a more realistic number, $500. Man, I, I don't even know if I could do that right now. I have all my money tied up. So, so how do we get out of this, this debt-driven society and get to a place of where we begin to save? At the beginning of every week, I set a little bit aside. So this was, this was the model that was used to save up large sums of money in small increments, not all at once. So here's the goal. Start where you are at, okay? So if you have to start with $10, guess what, guys? Start with $10. Just put it aside, out of sight, out of mind. Don't keep it in your pocket. Don't keep it close to you. Make it hard to get to and put it aside. Let's say it's $20. We'll put $20 aside every week. Well, I can do that. $20 isn't that much. You do it every week, you'll have about 100 bucks or so, maybe 120 at the end of the month. Well, that's more than I got right now. That is moving in the right direction. Let's say you can afford 100 because God is blessing you. We're working, you know, put 100. Man, you could have about 450 at the end of one month if you put it away and you don't touch it. That'd be nice for some of you this morning. Just say, I got extra 450 bucks because I just, at the beginning of every week, I just put it out of sight, out of mind. You know? It's a principle that is tried and true, and it will work. You just have to be diligent, and you have to choose to save. When we save, it, it, it allows us to have a safety net where we will not create excessive debt in our life. Okay? So we give, we save, and then we what? Spend. Hey, who knows about spending in here? Everybody. 
So I'm going to give you some practical principles on spending also because it is a gift and, and it is a blessing to be able to spend, but we just need to make sure we do it correctly, okay? So we previously talked about, you know, that the, that the topic of marriage and parenting is, is important. You know, in, the, in our two previous sessions, we talked about, you know, marriage, the model, and parenting, you know, and the importance of being on the same page, being united in your process, being united in the way you act, the way, the way you, uh, uh, just your home model is, is unified. So money in your family is exactly the same. And keeping your money together helps you better achieve your family goals together. Okay? You know, you have to ask the question, what are your spending habits? Do you know where all of your money is going every single month? You know, if you answer, you know, I, I, I really don't know where all my money goes. The first thing that you need to do to get all your finances in order is to figure out where your money does go. If you don't know where it's going, that's the first problem. Figure out where your money's going. So how do we evaluate and figure out what are we spending? Take one month. It'll take you one month to figure out where all your money's going. So take one month, track every single expense. What do you mean every expense? Every soda you buy, every, you know, anything that you buy, all the little things is usually what gets you. Well, I got an appetizer and, you know, I got a dessert at the end of the meal and the meal cost me 60 bucks anyway. Oh, man, I just spent 100 bucks going out to eat for one meal, and I do that 10 times. What's the math? $1,000 for 10 meals. Becky and I learned we were eating all of our money. I'm just telling you the, 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 the cold, hard truth. We were eating all of our extra money. But if we, if we change the way we spend it, we can work smarter, and we could save a whole lot. Okay, I bet a lot of you are eating your money too. Okay, so we so we track our money. Uh, you know, we track every expense for one month, and you'll see where your money your money is spent. Now, there may be some of you here this morning that you don't want to track your money because you already know where your money goes, but you just don't want to give some things up. But it's costing you in the long run because you can't give and you can't save because all of your spending is 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 out of control. Okay, so having more money is not always the, the answer to, the, to, the, to a financial issue. Sometimes, sometimes we get caught in the trap of chasing after the love of money. First Timothy 6.10, you guys have probably heard this passage, says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice this passage states that money itself is not evil, but the love of money is, okay? So I was looking up the word love because I was like, love, like, what kind of word is that? So we know the word agape means, you know, uh, unconditional love. So I was like, man, that doesn't make sense. So I looked it up in the Greek and Hebrew. That word love is actually uh, translated differently. Uh, the, the word is philagarua, and it says greedy love of possessions, we have to understand that in the Greek, there's different language. There's many different words for the one word that we use. The one word we have is love, but in the Greek, there's many words. This this definition of love is greed. For the love of money, for the love of money, and it's driven by accumulating the the most earthly possessions. How many of you guys have ever heard the quote, or you heard somebody say, "He who dies with the most toys wins"? Man, that's out of a heart of greed, man. Like, I, you know, I'm gonna have it accumulate as much stuff, buy as many things, live it up, you know, and if, I, and if I die with the most, I win. Not really. Might have left a whole lot of debt for somebody. Somebody's got to pay for that, okay? So we got to understand that, that that quote is motivated by a spirit of greed, selfishness, rather than a heart to give and bless those who are really in need. So couples because I'm talking about unity, I'm talking about the family model, I'm talking about how does this apply within our homes. You know, so couples have to be unified in their spending habits and, and handling their finances. You know, I've heard of many, many couples splitting up their money, doing the whole, this is your part and this is my part thing. You know, or working two jobs and you put one in one account, one in the other. You know, it's my opinion, but I would strongly encourage married couples to keep your money in the same account Focusing, focusing on being transparent and, and, and being transparent and together on your financial spending habits. 
Be on the same page, especially if one spouse is making money, throw it all in. Man, the more the merrier. If you put, a, put it together, you can do a lot more with it. But it also protects you, men, women, from doing stupid stuff with your money. Because if you spend something and you're both looking at the account, hey, uh, baby, what's this uh, 100 bucks here? Well, well, well uh, uh, I don't know. I got the steak and shrimp. Which I don't know, whatever it is. But, but it could also prevent you from stepping into the trap of an enemy if, you're, if, you leave, if you stay transparent with your money. There's a lot of foolish ways we can spend our money, guys. And we don't want to allow that to be a trap. We want to be unified as couples, transparent, and keep all of that together. Okay? If you're going to be successful in your finances as a couple, you must have the same financial goals. So what does that mean? If I want to buy a boat and my wife wants to go to Disney, the kingdom is divided. <laughs> so I had to choose to go to Disney this year. <laughs> Same financial goals because, you know, man, we could get in a huge fight. I ain't going to Disney. I'm getting my boat. And then she's going to end up going to Disney. And I'm going to stay at home with my boat. <laughs> She'll leave me out and say, I'm still doing what I'm doing. I promise the kids were doing But to be on the same page... Right? That we would, be, we would be together rather than separate. We'd have the same financial goals. So let me, let me give you just a little bit of a glimpse into Becky and I's life. So uh, our, a long time ago, Becky and I decided to get debt free, to pay everything, cash as much as we could. And here was the main reason. It wasn't to say, hey, look at me, I'm debt free. But I said, God, if anything you ever ask me to do, I want to be able to do it. And I know if I'm up to debt, to my eyeballs and I have to make over six figures to support the lifestyle or the debt that I've accumulated, I won't be able to be free to step into whatever you call me to. So it was motivated out of a heart to say, God, whenever you ask me to do something, I'll do it. That I wouldn't be tied to, you know, truck payments, mortgage payments, that I wouldn't, you know, I would live within my means, that we would, we would, have, we would have the same financial goals. So let me tell you what Becky did and I did over a course of three years. You're like, three years, that's a long time. Yeah, it was. And we weren't making that much money when we were, made these goals, right? So what we did, uh, three years in a row, so we had some school debt when we first started, and that was a big deal. We're like, man, you know, once, the, once we had to start paying on it, like, oh, man, why did we ever go to school? You know, because once the debt hits of the school bills, it's like, man, is it really worth it? Because hopefully you nail an awesome job, but Becky and I didn't get a job right away with our degrees. And I think we've learned a lot of cool stuff, and God has used that to better help us be who we are today, but my degree didn't get me a six-figure job. So the first thing we decided, we were in unity, we were on the same page, we said, we want to get free of, of school debt. So year one, we worked, we worked, we paid towards it, we paid towards it. Well, what do you guys usually do when you get your in income tax money back? Spend it. Hey, I want to do this, I want to do this. Year one. We paid off school debt. So we eliminated school debt year one. You think that was fun? Heck no, it wasn't fun. But we were, on the, we, were on the, we were in the same place. We had the same financial goals, and we knew that it would better our future. So we got that under control, right? So then the next thing we decided to do, said, man, well, unless we have some type of savings account, emergency savings, a safety net for our lives, we're, we're going to be sure to accrue debt. So then we agreed on a dollar amount. Year two, we got our income tax money back. What do you think we did with it? Dang, put it in the savings account. So what is this savings account for? It's not for a boat. It's not for Disney. It's not for all these things. This is just to protect us in case something catastrophic happens. So it sits there and looks at me all the time. It's still sitting there looking at me all the time. Now, as, as a couple, you have to decide how much is enough for anything catastrophic that might happen that you could immediately pay. Deductible bills, anything like that, deductibles on your medical, on your home, like figure out a dollar amount, get on the same page, hit that dollar amount, but make sure that that is reserved for emergencies only. But I'll tell you what, it's one of the most blessed things ever because if something happened, I'm okay. If one of my car, if, a, if that tree that I parked under today, I usually park way out there. I parked under the tree this morning. So God forbid, if that tree fell this morning and totaled that car, I'd go buy another one. 
Now, I'm not going to, not as nice, and I'm not going to go to the dealership and accrue debt, but I, but I could buy, you know, a few thousand dollar car and we would be okay. But you have to shift the perspective of what does God want versus what does culture want, right? So that year two, we set up that emergency fund, put it in place, and then we finally said, I guess we quit putting money in there. It feels like it's good enough. So then we started working on other goals. So, so year three, our ultimate goal was, uh, and now this wasn't like year three, but it was the third, I guess, third time we decided to use our income tax for something. We worked really, really hard to pay off our home. Okay. Now we bought a foreclosed home. We put money into it. We upgraded every room. We replaced everything in that house. It required a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But one of those income tax returns, what do you think we did? Paid off our home. So now you have no school debt. You have an emergency saving. And you own your home. So what do you think your, your spending habits do at that point? Oh, you can start living a little. You're not, send, you're not sending payments every month to the mortgage place, and now you're able to get the stake and shrimp because of the discipline that you implemented earlier on, but we had the same goals in our spending habits. And it was hard, man. There was time we're like, man, we can't really do that. Not that we're broke or that we're poor, but we have goals, and that is the priority. It's not fun saving. It's not fun being an adult. All you young adults, man. It's, you know, see, let's go to San Antonio today. I can't. I got to work. This response, you know, just, man, no worries. You get older, all them worries come rushing in. You were so, so ready to graduate from high school. Have fun with it. So how do we practically stay unified in our spending? Here's what you do. You sit down together and you make a budget. Don't just make a budget and say, hey, here's what you're going to do. That's not going to end well for you. Sit down together as a couple, as a team, you're on the same side, and make a budget. You know, agree and take a, take a look at the expenses every month. So one thing about a budget, remember, you make the rules of that budget. If you want $200 free money just to have fun with, then that's fine. But stay within that $200 limit. If you agree to $500, stay within that $500 limit, okay? But after that $500 runs out, don't say, oh, well, some of the guys and we got invited, we're done, baby. That's all we can spend this month. We're going to have to wait. We stick to that budget. So remember, you make, you make the rules to your budget, okay? But then here is the golden rule of a budget. Once the budget is established and agreed upon, remember to stick to the plan. Whatever it looks like, stick to it, and you'll see that budget begin to work for you and to be more towards your friend than the worst enemy ever because you can make a budget. And I think that's what we did initially. We made that thing so rigid. We're like, we can't even do anything. Our life is boring. <laughs> so we added $100 free money the next budget because I was like, and I think we did that after the first month. I was like, we can't live like this. <laughs> Had to have a little fun for all the work. But as soon as we reestablished that budget, what did we do? We stuck to it. Okay? So what are the three things we talked about today? We give, we save, and then we spend. Don't spend, and then you can't give and you can't save first. Make sure we have those in order. So I'm going to close with this. Six things to help you break free in your finances. I think these are things that are really going to going to help you. You got that slide, Elizabeth? Because uh, I kind of narrowed it down throughout the whole message. What are the things that we can walk away with? What are the things that we need to implement right now that will radically change it? So follow the principle of give, save, spend. All right? That's, that's number one. Second, make a budget. If you've never made a budget, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to any of Dave Ramsey's stuff, Financial Freedom, Financial Peace University. There are some great things that Becky and I have used that changed our life. Like literally changed our life. Okay? So make a budget. Become united in your financial goals. Stay united in your financial goals, okay? Because it can change and it can get hard, but stay united. 
So what does that mean? Husbands, if your wife's getting kind of crazy in the spending, just don't be like, what are you doing? But say, hey, baby, you know, this, remember, our, remember our goals. Vice versa, man. But I want to go play golf like every day. It's not going to happen. Once a week, that's all we've budgeted. Man, because one day it's going to pay off when you're completely debt-free and you could go every day if you wanted. All right? This is a big one. Number four, don't spend more than you make. Okay? We say, well, I don't make that much right now. Same principle applies. Okay? This will, this will cause excessive debt to be accrued really, really quickly. If you're spending more than you make, you just cannot operate like that. Pray for another job. Pray for a second job. Do whatever you can, but don't spend more than you make. All right? Next is submit all of your finances to God. So this means give God 100%, not just the 10%. Ask God for wisdom in all of your spending. Okay? And this last one, work hard and stay disciplined. Proverbs 24, 33 through 34 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So what does this mean? Do your part and let God do his. He doesn't want us being lazy. He wants us working, being diligent, and submitting to us and say, God, I've done all that I can. I don't know what else to do. I'm working two jobs. I have kids. I have all these things. You do what you can, and you might have a promotion right down the road you know nothing about. Because work ethic matters. It really matters. You know, I was a supervisor, and there were guys that I was like, man, I'd never promote that guy. But there were others that I'd be like, man, if he was ever on, I would vouch for this guy because he works hard when nobody's watching. He's disciplined. He's consistent. And that's what we have to, have to do. We, do. we do our part, and we allow God to do his. Let's stand this morning. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.